Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from October 24th by Pastor Randy, titled Revival and Grace. All right, so every year you can find some articles about words that's been added to the dictionary. Words that 20 years ago may not even known they were words, but they came into use and they're used so often that they will place them in a dictionary. Uh, so I want to give you some words this morning. Now, these are words that probably you won't find in an academic dictionary, uh, but some words that's come into play over the years, and, and maybe when the words come up, you can even guess what they mean. I don't know. Let's try this. Here's the first word, disconfect. This is what we use around Halloween time. Disconfect is sterilizing a piece of candy that you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. So it drops on the floor, you blow on it, pop in your mouth, you're good. Okay? Blame storming. This one's used in corporate settings. This is where you sit around and you talk about who's causing all the problems rather than trying to fix any problems. Who to blame for everything rather than trying to fix it. Here's one more, intoxication. This is a euphoria that you get when you get a refund from the IRS until you realize it was your money to begin with. <laughs> now, we have every year words that we may not have used very much before and, and come into use, but there are also some words that's been around for a long time. Words that's been around for centuries. Words that we're very familiar with. But a lot of times, the meaning of the word and the power of the word gets lost. And that's what we're going to look at today when we talk about grace. Because we've heard about grace, and especially in church settings since we were real little, but the power and the meaning of it has been lost. Let's look at it this way. When I was younger, Kellogg's Corn Flakes... They did some research. And what they discovered was that there were a lot of adults that used to eat cornflakes when they were little, but have stopped eating them once they become adults. So some of you may remember this commercial. Kellogg's cornflakes, try them again for the first time. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay, good. We do have some out there to remember that. That kind of tells your age more than anything else. And so... What I want you to get across today is that, is that grace is like that. Grace is something that we need to experience it again for the first time. In fact, revival can be defined as experiencing grace again for the first time. Hebrews 12, 15 says, make sure you do not miss the grace of God. And that's the problem. We live in a culture where we're very familiar with grace. We're very familiar with the term. We can probably even do a good job defining it, but we've missed it. That's why we need revival, because we miss what grace is all about. So what we're going to do today is to look at grace. And first off, let's just talk about what grace means. Uh, and to do that is probably, a good way to do that is to 
talk about what happens when grace is absent. That may help us get a little bit more understanding on what grace is when it's there. So what do you call Christianity when grace is absent? You call it religion. Where people are just trying to keep a set of rules and regulations in order to gain favor with God. Let me give you a few comparisons and contrasts. The focus of religion is on the outward. Jesus emphasized this over and over again. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You're looking good on the outside. On the outside, you look, you got everything together. But on the inside, you're just full of dead man's bones. Grace or religion is all about the outward, but the focus of grace is on the inward. It's on the heart. It's on being transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. The foundation of religion is rules. Let me give you some rules to keep. And usually these rules, some of them can be found in the Bible, but the ones they emphasize more often are the ones that's not found in the Bible. It's the ones that they made up. Anybody grow up in a place where you need to keep these rules and these are rules that, that man made up. It's not necessarily in the Bible, but keep these rules. But the foundation of grace is a relationship. It's all about that relationship with God. Jesus says this is eternal life that you may know him, that you may have that relationship. That's what eternal life is all about. It's not about keeping rules. It's about the relationship. The next one, the motiva motivation for religion is shame. Feel guilty, feel shame for, for how you are messing up. And a lot of you, you grew up in an atmosphere where there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with being a Christian. In fact, that's a way that they try to control, maybe try to control you or control others with shame and guilt. But the motivation for grace is gratitude. You're so grateful for what God has done for you that, that it, it results in holiness. Religion leaves you with a feeling of condemnation. I'll never measure up. I'll never get it done. I'll never get this right. Uh, of condemnation, of frustration, because you know you'll never get it right. But grace gives you the feeling of freedom. Wherever there's grace, there's freedom. You're free from the, the idea that you've got to perform in order to be in with God because God's already paid that price on the cross. You already are in. You don't have to try to get in. You already are in. And the outcome of pride is, of religion is either pride or guilt. When you're religious, when there's no grace, you're just religious, you're going to pat yourself on the back because how well you're doing or you're going to feel guilty because you never can just seem to get it right. But the outcome of grace is love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And when you realize what God has done for you, it's, it's love that, that comes from you as a result of that. You, you have that desire to love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Completely different. Completely different approaches to the Christian life. But listen, to understand grace, it's not enough for it to be defined for you. And it's not enough for me to tell you what happens when grace is missing. If you want to really understand grace, you have to experience it. See, that's what's frustrating for me. Because I just want to come up here and explain it to you. See, my desire is to be able to say, okay, here's a definition. Here's what grace looks like. Here's how grace can be defined. Here's what's going on when it's absent. And have you go, oh, wow, that's so great. I'm experiencing grace. No, you're not. You're just learning something about grace. The thing is that you will never understand grace until you experience it. This is why 
in the Bible, Paul talks a whole lot about grace over 100 times. But in the Gospels, Jesus never says grace not once. Not once does that word come out of his mouth that we have recorded in Scripture. Yet, when John's talking about Jesus and he's summing up his life, he says he came full of grace and truth. So disciples, when they look back on Jesus' life and they're writing it down for us, they're saying grace and truth, it was just always flowing out of them, constantly. But yet he never used the word grace. So where's the grace at? You see it in the stories in the Gospels. Because grace has to be experienced. Jesus is not teaching about grace. He's not defining grace. People, when they're around him, they experience grace. That is what I want for you this morning. I want you to experience grace. So that's what I'm hoping you'll go on a journey and do this morning. Here's what E.B. White, he put it this way. He said, grace can be dissected like a frog, but it dies in a process. Grace can be dissected like a frog, but it dies in a process. In other words, you can just get the theological definition of grace. You can go to theological dictionaries and, and get defined for you. You can get described for you. But if that's all you do is just get it defined for you and just get it described for you, you're going to kill it. It's going to die. Because grace is something that has to be experienced. So what I want to do for you today is I want to give you three stories. And in these stories, we're going to see grace. And it's going to come across in different ways towards different people. And maybe there's a way you can relate to that. And so maybe today you can, in somewhat the same way that other people experience grace, you can experience grace. And we're going to do that by looking at the story of three women in the Gospels, which you probably already know who those women are. Uh, I get that. So these are very familiar stories. In fact, I'm banking on them being familiar with you because we're not going to read all the verses in all these stories. Well, one we will, but the other two we're not. And, and, and be trusted in just your familiarity with them. The first one we're going to look at is the woman at the well. She comes to the well, why? Because she's thirsty, right? She needs water. And so often in Scripture, we see that, that there's a physical truth that's put out there so that we'll understand the spiritual truth. In other words, uh, Paul talks about sowing and reaping in the physical world. That helps us understand the spiritual world. Jesus, he used the example of a sower when he's teaching. There's probably somebody on the hillside that was sowing seed. And he used the example of sowing in the physical world so we can understand how that works in the spiritual world. And so Jesus does the same thing. He uses thirst in the physical world as a woman is thirsty to relate that to what's going on within her heart spiritually. And so this is what he does when he comes up to the woman. He says, first of all, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Now, we who are very familiar with the story, we got to realize this is a very insensitive comment because this woman doesn't have one husband. She's already had five husbands and the guy she's living with is not her husband right now. But when Jesus says, go get your husband, he's not trying to be insensitive to her. All he's doing is trying to get her in touch with the nature and intensity of her thirst. But this is cold to begin with. This was like going into a wound and peeling off the scab. 
It ain't going, ooh, just letting it bleed all over again. Everything that she's tried to ignore, her whole past, all the men she's been with, she's trying to ignore and get through that. And what does Jesus do? He goes right to that. But like I said, it's not to be insensitive. It's to put her in touch with the spiritual thirst that she's feeling on the inside. It's sort of like going to the, the home of a porn addict and pulling porn out from underneath their, their bed and going, you're thirsty. No, I'm not. You're thirsty. No, I'm not. Yes, you're thirsty. No, I'm not. Then what about all this right here? Jesus is trying to get her in touch with the nature and intensity of her thirst. And we live in a culture, in a world that's thirsty. And we try to keep going these wells to quench that thirst and it never does work. Thirsty? Try the well of performance. Maybe you can climb the ladder enough in your occupation to validate yourself so you're not thirsty anymore. Maybe that'll work. Thirsty? Try the, the well of hobbies. Maybe you can find a hobby that'll fill up your time and, and you won't be thirsty anymore. It'll just bring that, bring that completion that you need to your life. Thirsty? Try relationships. Maybe you can find the right person, the right him or her to come in your life and, and complete you and validate you and fill up that thirst within you. Thirsty? Try the well of appearance. Maybe you can fix your appearance enough where you feel good about yourself and you validate yourself. That's a big one today, especially for women. You realize 80% of 10-year-old girls, 80% of 10-year-old girls feel like they need to lose weight. 70% of women between 18 and 30 don't like their bodies. 20 million women in our culture will have some sort of eating disorder throughout their lives. Maybe that well will fill me up, they think. And they're not doing this. People aren't going after all these different wells because they're wicked. They're just going after these different wells and trying to quench their thirst in there because they're so dry inside. They're so parched. And this woman hasn't gone from man to man to man to man to man because she's evil. She's done it. Why? Because she's so thirsty. Inside, she's so dry. And then this is what Jesus said to her. I am the one speaking to you, am he. They've been having this conversation about the Messiah. And Jesus says, you know, the one who the Jews have been waiting for for a thousand years, that's me. I am he, the one who sent my guys away because I knew I had an appointment with you to talk about you and your life to help quench your thirst. The one who already knew everything about you. I had an appointment with you here today because I wanted to give you, to give you eternal life. I wanted you to experience grace. And so what just happens when the light comes on for her and she begins to experience grace for the first time? She puts her little water pot down and she came to fill up. That's sort of symbolic of don't need this anymore. She goes running into town telling everybody, Guess what? I met a guy who told me everything about my life. Could he be a prophet? Could he be the Messiah? To which the people in town said, we already know about your life. It's a small town. Everybody knows everything about you. But something's different. 
because she had gone out to the well at midday, at midday to ignore people, to stay away from people. Now she's running into town. Transparent. Open. Completely different attitude. In fact, it was so different that God used her to drag everybody in that city out to Jesus where they invited him back to teach them and many of them believed. Because she experienced grace. So let me ask you this. If you were at the well with Jesus that day and he asked her to go get her husband, if he asked you to go get something, what would he ask you to go get? What are you trying to fill your, to quench your thirst with in your life to help validate yourself and make yourself feel complete? Would he ask you to go get your debit card or your checkbook or whatever else? Would he ask you to go get a mirror because you're so worried about how you look, how you appear? Would he ask you to go get, you know, something, a status or relationship or what? Would he, what would he ask you to go get? We are people who are thirsty. David said this. David said, my soul thirsts for the living God. He knew what it was like to have a thirst, but he also knew what it was like to have it quenched by God. So here's what I want you to get. Grace is having your thirst quenched. Grace is having your thirst quenched. How many of you need to experience that today? You're looking for some way, something to validate you, something to complete you, to fill up your life, and you're trying this well, and you keep going back that well every time, over and over and over again, keep going back thinking, maybe I'll get it quenched this time. Maybe this guy will do it. Maybe this relationship will do it. Maybe if I get enough money, it'll do it. Maybe if I change my appearance enough, it'll do it. And you keep trying to have that quenched. Only to realize it doesn't work. But when you experience grace, that changes everything. Changed everything for this woman. It can change everything for you. So how many of you need your thirst quenched this morning? You're thirsty. Next woman, John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked us to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. Okay, so this woman is bait. Okay. That's all she is. These She's like, this woman is these guys like every other guy that she slept with. She's just bait. What they want to do is put Jesus in a lose-lose situation. Because she's committed adultery. And if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, that puts him at odds with Moses. 
And if Jesus says to stone her, that puts her in awe with Rome because in Rome at that time, the only one who had authority to stone somebody was Rome. So now he's in trouble with Rome if he does lead a stoning against this woman. So they're trying to put him in a lose-lose situation. Whether or not this woman is just bait, or no matter how she is being used, she did choose herself to sleep with the husband of another woman. She, in a sense, deserves condemnation. She expects condemnation. But what does Jesus tell her? I don't condemn you. I do not condemn you. Here's what you need to understand. Grace means complete forgiveness for everything in your past and future. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. How messed up would it be if I kept dirty diapers from when my kids were one year old or so and, you know, big blowouts, and every year I came to them and said, you see this? I can't believe you did that. I did not deserve this. Do you know how messy it was to clean that up? And if I, every once in a while, I just brought these out and paraded in front of them and said, you know, you, you know what you deserve for doing this? That's the way some people feel like God is toward them. Here's what we read in Romans chapter 5. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more has the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. He's talking about Adam's sin there. But from, the, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Talking about Jesus dying on the cross. What came as a result of that? Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Talking about death reigned through Adam. How much more were those who received the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So through one man came death for everybody. Now through one man comes a grace, a gift of life to everybody. The only difference is you have to receive it, he goes on later to say. But, but here's what's going on. Here's what he's saying. What he's saying is that grace is greater than your sin. Y'all remember in elementary school where you had those greater than, less than problems in math? And you have to figure, okay, this is greater than that. And you had the little arrow. Well, if we put grace right here and we put that little arrow and we put your sin over here, what Paul says is that grace is greater than your sin. In fact, grace is greater than anything you want to put over here. It's, it's greater than that biggest regret you have in your life. It's greater than any move you want, to, any difficulty that you have. It's greater than all of that. Grace is greater than your sin. Now, how many of you need to experience that this morning? Because you have a sin, you have regret that's hanging over your head. And you can't seem to get rid of it. You need to understand that grace is greater than that. Because there are people, they live with their mess ups for years, for decades, thinking all they deserve is condemnation. And, and they think that God just comes to them every once in a while and says, I can't believe you did this. But what we need to understand is grace is greater than our sin. The third thing we get from this is that you're responsible how you respond to the grace of God. 
You are responsible to how you respond to the grace of God. Regardless of how this woman was treated, regardless of how she's just being used as bait, Jesus doesn't let her off the hook. He doesn't pretend that her sin didn't matter. He doesn't try and tiptoe around her sin. Here's what, uh, go back to what we talked about Jesus earlier. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. He didn't come with just grace. Oh, adultery. Oh, that's no big deal. Addiction. Don't worry about that. And Jesus didn't come with just truth. Adultery? You've got to be kidding me. How could you do that? I can't believe with all the outs you had, you still chose to commit adultery. She didn't need that either. Here's the thing. What I've discovered about people, the way they receive the gospel is the way they carry it through their lives. In other words, if you're in a place where, where, where when you see the gospel, you receive just truth, you tend to be a type of person who is real quick to judge and real slow to forgive. Somebody messes up and you hold them responsible for the rest of their lives. Now you mess up and you don't hold yourself accountable for the rest of your life. But if they mess up, you figure they're accountable for the rest of their lives. That Jesus is, well, you just keep trying hard. You just keep trying to do the right thing. And maybe in about 20 years, I might let you back in with me. Maybe not, but maybe. Just try hard. But some people, they grew up, when they received the gospel, it was just grace. So it doesn't matter what they do, that God's like some grandfather. Oh, yeah, adultery. That's okay. Let's just go get some ice cream. So everything's better with the ice cream. But what does he tell her? He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and live a different life. See, the past may explain how you got to where you are, but never use the past as an excuse not to let God take you where you need to be. Here's what I want you to understand about this part of the story. Grace leads you to live a different life. Grace leads you to live a different life. That's what we read in Titus. Titus says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What else does the grace of God do? Instructs us to deny ungodliness. It's supposed to be ungodliness. One of us messed that up, Jeremy. I'm going to pretend it's you who messed that up. No, I guess to deny, yeah, I guess it is written right. I thought one version I, for me was says ungodly. Anyway, to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. See, grace leads you to live a different life. And that's what some of you need. You understand you're forgiven, but you never have started leading a different life. He tells this woman, now go and lead a different life. Don't be caught in this sin anymore. And some of you, you need to have the grace to lead a different life. 
The fourth thing we see from this story is people who understand grace are rock droppers. In other words, they're not throwing stones at other people. They're not judging other people for their sin. There are several reasons why you shouldn't judge another person. Number one is you don't know what's, in their, what's been in their life. You haven't walked in their shoes. Another reason is you don't know their hearts. You don't know what's going on in their hearts. A big reason is you're not qualified. Jesus said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. That means perfection. It's a big reason is you're not qualified. Let me tell you another big reason why you should be dropping those rocks and not throwing stones and judging other people is because what you're actually doing is throwing stones at the gospel. There was a lady who was a prostitute and in drugs and all that. She became a Christian. She started going to church. She started working in children's ministry. The pastor's son took notice of her, began dating her, and then asked her to marry him. But other guys in the church, men in church, they didn't like that because the pastor's son shouldn't marry someone with that kind of a past. And so they met with the pastor and his son and they expressed that. We just don't think it's right for you to marry someone with that sort of past. The pastor's son said, hey, look, my fiance is not on trial here today. What's on trial here today is the gospel. It's the blood of Jesus. Did the blood of Jesus forgive us for all our sins or not? Did the blood of Jesus wash away our sins? And they begin to realize that what they were actually doing was throwing stones at the gospel. Why do we call her the woman caught in adultery? Why don't we call her the woman forgiven by Jesus? Why do we call her Rahab the harlot? Why don't we call her the great, 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 great grandmother of David? Because we miss grace. Because there's just something in us that wants to judge other people. But when you've experienced grace, you won't be throwing those stones at other people. You won't be going around talking about their motives, which you do not know, or their actions, which you have no basis to talk about. You have no perfection. You, you have no reason to do that. You'll stop doing that once you've experienced grace. How many of you are in the habit of judging other people? And this morning, you need to experience grace and start dropping those rocks. The next thing about this story is that grace restores. He tells her what? Go and sin no more. Not only live a different life, but to move forward from here. To move forward in your new life. There is a verse that just talks about this, explain this. Joel says, I will repay you for the years that swarming locusts ate, the young locusts, the destroying locusts, and devouring locusts, my great army that has sinned against you. God says, you know all that destruction that came in your life because of your choices, your sin? He doesn't just say, well, we'll just try and move on from there. No, he says, I'll repay you for that. I'll make it up to you. Anybody here ever experienced a swarming locust? Just come in and your childhood's gone. Your marriage is gone, wiped out. Your job, your career just gone. The locust came in and destroyed that. Maybe it wasn't a swarming locust. Maybe it was just those little devouring locusts you know, that come in and, and it's not just a whoosh and it's gone. It's, they just got eaten away and eaten away and eaten away. And you've had some locusts come and do that in your life and just eat away until something's totally gone. 
See, we have a God who can create out of nothing and he can take the broken pieces of your life and he can make something of that. He can bring it back and, and make it whole again and do more than you, than you thought. Let's, next verse here in, in Joel. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. So he says, look, all those things that the locusts take, I'm going to restore them. It's going to be better than you ever thought it could be. How many of you need to experience the grace that restores? Because the locust has come and taken something out of your life. And now you have the opportunity to experience what only grace can do. To come and repay you for that. To come and restore that. The third woman. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in town who was a sinner, that means prostitute, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee had who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. So sinner, like I said, means prostitute. Why was this woman there? She was there because she had heard something about Jesus, how he could maybe just change her life. Something about the, that, that he had the compassion to deal not just with, with men, but of women that day, and to, he could, might could do something in her life. So she goes to Simon's house because she hears Jesus is there, and she walks in, she walks past the stairs that she was used to having by the men there looking down upon her as a prostitute. And she notices Jesus' feet hasn't been washed, which is common to do when you went to somebody's house. So she begins with her tears, wash his feet and her hair dry them. Probably figures he hasn't been kissed. She begins to kiss her feet. She realizes that he hasn't been anointed with oil. I mean, that's pretty obvious. It takes somebody welcome to her home and they would anoint them with oil. It was a big deal to bring somebody into your home. So since that hadn't happened, she takes the perfume that she had. Rather than just putting a few drops on them like they would do, because this is a very precious thing back then, because a lot of people just in that time, there was a lot of stink going on. So this is way to cover it up. But she just anoints his body with it. Not just a drop, but anoints his body with it. And Simon, not only is having difficulty with this woman, just showing up, but more difficult with Jesus. If he was a prophet, if he knew what kind of woman this is, he wouldn't let her be doing this to him. So Jesus tells this parable. A creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who's forgiven little loves little. Now, a lot of times we miss the point of this story. The point of this story is that we're all the 500. We're all those people. See, we want to look at people differently. 
And we won't say they have little sin, they have a lot of sin and I have little sin. No, no, no. And here's the thing I want you to see about grace. Grace impacts the way we see people. We stop seeing them as different. We stop seeing them as the one who are big sinners and we're just little sinners. When we meet somebody, right away, we begin to notice how different are they? Are they different ethnically? Are they different socially? Or are they different economically? Different, come from different economic background? Are they different politically? How different they are? The most four hated words in the Pharisee Bible is this, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, what Simon's problem is, is he should be identifying with her. He should be down there doing the same thing she's doing. That's the problem. He has no love for Jesus and never will have any love for Jesus. Not because he's sort of less sinner, but because he refused to identify himself as a sinner. A guy by the name of John LaRue. He went to a group called Love in Action. It's a sexual addiction group. He'd never been to anything like this before. He goes into the meantime, he sits down, and after a few minutes, a guy gets up and starts sharing his story. He says, this past week, I drove past an adult nightclub. He said that, hands went up. And John's asking, why all the questions? But the guy kept going, and so God, they put their hands down, and John's asking, he didn't even answer any of their questions. He goes on with his story. He says, I want to pass it by, but I turned into the parking lot, and I went in. At that point, hands went up again. John goes, that's strange, because the guy, he just keeps talking. He doesn't even acknowledge the hands at all. He just keeps talking. Guys put their hands back down. He describes the things he did while he was in the nightclub. Hands went up again. But the guy just, he continues talking. Hands go back down. Then he says, and when I went back to my car, I felt such shame. I felt, how could God love me? And at that point, every hand in the room went up. And then he finished the story. The hands go back down. He finishes the story. Well, afterwards, the director uh, of this comes to John, and he sees he's somewhat confused. He says, is there something that, that you didn't quite understand? And he says, yes. When that guy got up to talk, everybody had questions. He didn't even stop to answer any questions. He just kept plowing right on through. And the and guy said, no, you misunderstand what was going on. We have a motto here that nobody struggles alone. So when somebody's sharing their story, and they struggled, the, the the way that the guy in the story has struggled, they raise up their hands and say, yes, I can identify with that. See, here's the thing. We need to be a people who instead of doing what we do so often and trying to make everybody so different, we need to be a people who raise our hands rather than point our fingers at people. But we don't want to do that. It's so difficult for us. See, grace impacts the way we see people. Do we see them as they're lesser sinners, we're the bigger sinners? Or we say, no, I can identify with that. See, Simon's problem, the reason he would totally miss the grace of Jesus is that he thought that he was somebody who just didn't need it that much. He chose to point his finger rather than raise his hand. We are the most, the most medicated the most addicted, 
the most in-debt culture there ever has been in the history of the world. And you know what we try to do? We try and hide that. We try and cover it up. We're like kids when they break something that they, that they want to just try and run and hide and cover it up. Grace means nothing to those who don't acknowledge their sin. If you want to keep trying covering up your sin, like Simon, you'll never experience grace. Never. Never. Here's a picture. Yep, here's a picture of kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form. It's where they take a broken piece of pottery and they fix it. But they don't try to fix it and, and, and hide the brokenness like it's never been broken before. What they do is they take all the, the, the cracks together, put the pottery piece together, and they put either gold or silver or platinum in there. So now the brokenness becomes part of the history of the pot. Now, do you think that makes it more valuable or less valuable? It makes it more valuable. You need to understand that we all need grace. And when grace comes into our lives, that needs to be put on display. Let me tell you how God fixed me. Let me tell you how God changed me. How often do we see Paul in Scripture? He doesn't try to hide the fact he was killing Christians. He'll say, man, I am what I am by the grace of God. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. And what we do is if we wind up putting the grace of God on display, the world sees how valuable that is. But you won't just try and just hide everything in your life. You're just a $2 piece of pottery versus something worth thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars because it puts God's grace on display. So experience his grace. I'm inviting you to do that today. Not come and acknowledge some facts. I'm inviting you to come to the Savior and experience his grace. So let me ask you, do you need your thirst quenched? You're thirsty today? And you need to come admit, God, I've been trying to fill my life with all these things. Lord, I just need you. Will you come and fill my, quench my thirst? Or maybe you're some, you need to know you've been forgiven. You've had sins in your life and you just carry those things around. You need to know that you've been forgiven. Maybe you need to walk a different lifestyle. You've been forgiven, but your life hasn't changed. Maybe you need to be restored. The, the, the sin has come and taken stuff from your life and you're going to just live the rest of your life with that gone. Maybe you need to experience how grace restores you. Maybe you need to start, start dropping some rocks because you tend to just judge other people. You need to be a rock, a rock dropper to see other people differently. What I'm just asking you to do is come and experience grace again for the first time. Come and experience it again for the first time. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.